Hey everyone, I'm Angela Taylor, your host with Unlocking the Club. And today we're gonna unlock the club on fibroid tumors and black women in honor of Fibroid Awareness Month this July. And this is a topic that is near and dear to me um, as we're gonna share some information and experiences that I actually wish I had access to earlier in my life. So to tell you a little bit, you know, I'm a pretty private person, but I think it's really important for me to share my story with you all. Um, and then you'll understand why this conversation in this particular moment in time is extremely important. So there was a four year period for me uh, between 2010 and 2014, uh, and it should have been the most exciting time in my life. I had made the decision to leave corporate America and was exercising my entrepreneurial muscle, um, a muscle that I've been ignoring for years. And while I was enjoying the pursuit of my entrepreneurial dreams, and building a consulting firm, those four years were some of the most isolating and debilitating years of my life. So at about the age of 39 was the first time I noticed that there was something, something going on with my reproductive system. Uh, there was a lot of discomfort that I was experiencing, but I couldn't pinpoint what it was. And frankly, um, as I think many Black women I've talked to experience, is we ignore our health. We prioritize others' health um, we are the first to quickly advise our friends and family about going to see the doctors, but we don't necessarily prioritize our own health. And that's certainly something that I didn't do at that time. And frankly, I didn't address it for another three years. And that included several painful months, uh, months where I suffered in silence to a certain extent. Uh, I was embarrassed. I didn't quite understand what was going on. I thought it was is normal to a certain extent and that I shouldn't complain. Um, as someone who has that, that athlete mentality, you get through pain. Uh, it's a challenge that you overcome and you take some pride in being able to navigate pain. So the painful cramps I was experiencing for those three or four years, the excessive uh, periods I was having, I just ignored those symptoms and uh, tried to, to continue living my life. But the symptoms were things that I couldn't ignore. You know, one of the early symptoms that I didn't understand um, that was when I could not go long without eating ice, right? I was constantly craving ice. And I mean craving ice. I ate it all the time. There would be times if my ice machine at home was running out of ice, that I would go down the street to a gas station or a fast food restaurant and try to get a cup of, of ice. I would get enough cups of ice that I would put in the freezer so I had enough in those moments that I needed it. Crazy, right? Um, my periods would last 10 days or more on a regular basis. Sometimes it felt like the period would end and just a couple of days later, the next period would start. And these weren't normal periods. These were periods that uh, were excessive. I was gushing blood um, and it felt like every hour on the hour, I was changing um, both the tampon and the pad that I was wearing. And I gotta tell you, I'm gonna pause here and say like, I'm not used to, to talking about this publicly. Again, I'm a really private person, um, but it's important to know because I know that there's women out there that are having a similar experience and they can't quite, they think it's just them. They think there's something wrong with them. And I wanna normalize this to let you know that it happens quite often, probably more frequently than you think. And there's a lot of people, again, as I was, suffering in silence as I was going through these symptoms. 
I also always had to, this sense of particularly in the middle of the night, um, I had this sense of that I had to go to the restroom. Felt like my bladder was always full. Uh, and as the symptoms progressed and the fibroids um, started to grow and increase in number, I had a lot of back pain. I had pain in my hip and it felt kind of like um, as an athlete, I experienced sciatica. Um, and so I had some shooting pains down my right leg quite often. Uh, and then the thing that was really frustrating was um, I had a lot of nausea and, and constipation, frankly. Um, and it was it was awful. Uh, and I just remember like I had to adjust my life around this condition. And I had to adjust my life was, you know, I was doing all the research. I knew I had fibroids, but I didn't have insurance at the time. This was before the Obamacare was available. I, again, was an entrepreneur running my own business, couldn't afford insurance at the time. And so I chose to, again, just treat this, the symptoms um, versus going to get help. And uh, I remember that I would literally dictate my schedule around this. So I had to be close to uh, a restroom or facility. I couldn't go too far. Um, on hikes, like I would go on hikes with friends. I wouldn't let them know what was going on, but I was in pain. I remember being in Sedona, Arizona, beautiful Sedona, taking a couple hikes with some friends on vacation, and I was miserable. Uh, and, and I'm sure they didn't know why I was in such a, a bad mood, um, but I was miserable because I was in so much pain. And over the course of these three or four years, the more physical activity I had, the, the, the higher my blood temperature got, um, the more I would have cramps and the more discomfort I was in. In the mornings, I actually had to structure when I would eat food. Before I realized it, I would eat breakfast, maybe go work out uh, and take a shower. And as my temperature, body temperature rose, um, I would have this sense of nausea, like, right? And it was throwing up all the time. And so I had to adjust that. I would work out, take a shower and then eat. Um, and eat after my body temperature was lowered. And I, we'll talk to the doctor about this to see if that is normal as well. But by the time I could no longer suffer in silence, um, I actually was able to rectify the situation. And one of the reasons I was able to do so is due to a special guest that we're gonna have on today's show, uh, Teresa Edwards. Teresa Edwards is a legend in women's basketball, really in sports around the globe. And I was reading an article um, from a, a paper in Tulsa while Teresa was coaching in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And she actually shares her story. She talked about having a similar journey um, with uterine fibroids um, and a treatment and a process that she'd gone through to alleviate the, the pain. And that was life-changing, to read that article, to see myself and to understand that, look, I should no longer continue to suffer in silence. And uh, eventually I was uh, introduced to the doctor that Teresa worked with, Dr. John Lippman, MD, who will actually be on the show today as well. Uh, and I remember in our first conversations, a, a couple things showed up, right? I needed to have both uh, MRI and um, the doctor had said, look, like I had lost so much blood over the years that I was close to needing a transfusion. Like if I had waited any longer, I might've been in the hospital because I was so anemic and had lost so much blood over the years. With the MRI, the doctor was able to see that, that I looked like I was five months pregnant. I had over 50 fibroids in my belly. Um, some were pressing on my lungs because they had nowhere else to go. Some were pressing on my bladder and my hips, and that was leading to all that discomfort. 
Now the doctor told me there's a couple options that you have. Um, and in a lot of the research I had done, most, op most doctors were prescribing a hysterectomy. I was in my you know, late 30s, early 40s, and I still thought I wanted to have children. So I, I didn't want to have a hysterectomy. And so the doctor said, you know, if you go into most places and choose to have the, the myomectomy, if the doctor goes in and sees how severe your situation may be when they're operating, they actually may go ahead and conduct a hysterectomy. So you may wake up having had a hysterectomy. But here's this amazing process and procedure, um, the utero, uterine fibroid embolization that is non-invasive and that sends you home at the end of the day uh, and that gets you up and on your feet much sooner than having a hysterectomy or a myomectomy. And I gotta tell you, it was life-changing. And that's the conversation we're gonna have today. We're gonna talk about um, women suffering in silence um, and the story and the journey and why we made those choices. And then we're gonna actually talk to the doctor about what we should know. We're gonna demystify some of the myths that are out there and talk about treatment options. Uh, and then we're gonna have a great conversation uh, just about what's next and any advice that we would have for those of you listening to this conversation. So I'm really excited about this discussion. I'm actually wearing white today in honor of Fibroid Awareness Month and in honor of the fact that I can actually wear white now after having that treatment. There were three or four years where I chose not to wear white pants. Um, and again, this treatment was, was life life-changing for me. So today on Unlocking the Club, our special guest will be Dr. John Lippman and a really special guest, uh, my sister angel, if you will, Teresa Edwards. Welcome to the Unlocking the Club podcast, where we host honest and direct conversations about journeys of access, personal truth, and reclaiming space. We share our truth so that you can find the key to own your truth, honor your journey, and reclaim your space. Grab your keys, your wallet, your phone, and invite your friends to meet you at the club. Here's your host, Angela Taylor. On today's episode of Unlocking the Club, I am thrilled to be in conversation with Dr. John Lippman, the doctor who conducted a procedure that literally changed my life for the better, and Teresa Edwards, the Hall of Famer who introduced me to Dr. Lippman. Dr. John Lippman is the world's leading uterine fibroid specialist and uterine fibroid embolization expert. His training at Georgetown, Harvard, and Yale provided the perfect foundation for his vast experience in uterine fibroid embolization, or UFE. He has performed more UFE procedures than any other physician, and patients from around the globe continue to seek his expertise. In 2005, Dr. Lippmann, who is best known for his pioneering work in the non-surgical treatment of uterine fibroids, started his own private practice the Atlanta Fibroid Center, where he and his team also treat a number of other medical conditions seen in women such as fallopian tubal infertility and migraine headaches. A critical aspect of Dr. Lippmann's mission includes educating the public and other physicians about uterine fibroids, UFE, and the treatment of uterine fibroids. He's been invited to speak about UFE on national media outlets such as CNN, The Doctors, CNBC, JET, the Wall Street Journal, and WebMD, to name a few. As a result of his commitment to this work, Dr. Lippmann was named the Healthcare Physician Hero of the Year from the Atlanta Business Chronicle and Trailblazer of the Year Award recipient from the Atlanta Medical Association, representing the interests and concerns for African-American physicians and their patients. 
after four years suffering from uterine fibroids, I was blessed to be introduced to Dr. Lippman by our next guest, Teresa Edwards. Teresa Edwards is a global sports legend and one of the most decorated athletes in Olympic team history. A five-time Olympian, winning four gold medals and one bronze medal during her Olympic run, Teresa is a pioneer of women's basketball and an advocate for women in sports. She's been inducted into the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame, the International Basketball Federation, the USOC Olympic Hall of Fame, and the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame, among others. She was also placed 22nd on Sports Illustrated's list of the 100 greatest female athletes of the 20th century. The sports icon is also an author, teacher, poet, and coach. A talented writer and poet, Teresa authored an autobiographical audiobook entitled Black Gold about her basketball career with a focus on her Olympic experiences and recently self-published her poetry in a book titled Dream with Faith Legacy Poetry. Thanks for tuning in as we unlock the club with our special guests, Dr. John Lippman, MD, and Teresa Edwards. Teresa Edwards, the legend. Teresa, how are you? I'm wonderful, Angela. Great to see you. Great to see you. It's been way too long. Yes. Well, this is such an important conversation that we're having, and I am grateful to you for, for many reasons. Um, first, for 10 years ago or so, of actually sharing your story publicly, um, because mm -hmm. I know it impacted me when I read that story uh, and changed my life, and I'm sure others that had access to that as well. Um, but also, it's great to just be in conversation with you today um, so that we can have this conversation on unlocking the club and truly unlock women's wellness and healthcare. Um, what have you been up to over the last few years, and why was it important for you to, to actually speak out on your condition? Um, you know, first of all, I, I'm very blessed. I, I, you know, listening to your your introduction into the story, we we had the similar experiences um, with fibroids. Um, mine mine experience is a little different because it was so unknown. You know, the resources, the just the knowledge about what was going on with my body was so scary to me. So I'll get back into that. But currently, I'm in New York. I'm teaching. I'm coaching. I'm growing old in the game. Never thought I would enjoy coaching, but really tremendously enjoying um, teaching kids and watching them learn where, where they are and passing them on to other people. But the, the thrill of coaching has hit me finally. Mm. So that, that there is, is really carrying me through a phase of I can sit down and write about life. I can enjoy looking out the window and I love being near the water. So you can tell I'm getting older. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We all are, but right. It's like yeah. aging well, for sure. And yeah. I really appreciate the fact that you, you've always been a great writer. Like I've been lucky to read some of the things that you've written in the past. Um, and I think one of the things that compels me is how you've transitioned from being an elite athlete, being the best of the best around the globe and known for that to now finding what's next for you. Right, so can right. you unlock that? What has that journey been like for you? That journey for me is not trying to reinvent the wheel, but tapping into my talents and, and continually to tap into the gifts that, that I, I feel like I was blessed with. And I'm fine. You know, I, it's like a rebirth every time I do something different. And sometimes I miss, you know, like surprise myself with the things I do, but I'm, I'm not one that easily say no to new experiences. I embrace it. And I know the world is forever changing. 
and evolving and of course new generations upon generations as a player i had to adjust to every generation you know playing in five olympics the next one will not be the same although i was chasing that same fun that same gold medal podium and things of that nature i think i learned to just adjust the same way in life as it comes um so the journey to just you know after what you shared about after basketball i had the same journey you know you get to the crossroads and you go which way do i go you know i've, I've been here in the game how do i do that in life and that happens to a lot of athletes my situation happened after the 2000 olympics after five olympic games i was unemployed i was self-employed i should say i was doing the exact same things you're doing broadcasting speaking traveling and all of a sudden my body said hey you know you're going to need insurance. You're going to need, you know, my, you, you need to be well taken care of because, you know, basketball took care of me. Teams took care of me. Organizations took care of me forever. That no longer existed. And I met Dr. Lippman at the same time this was happening in my life. I had nowhere to go. And between the crossroads and thank God, it was a blessed conversation. You know, the MRI, the consultation with him, he put me at ease. He was really, really, really trying to work ways to make it work for me and, and you know, just advised me the entire way. I, I really, you know, attribute that to blessings. And I, I, it just eased up. My, my, my mentality eased up. My emotional state of being and mind just said, just one day at a time, go with it, consultation, you know, the next appointment, blah, blah, blah. And, I, I, you know, amazing. He really wasn't that far from my house. I could have walked to his office, which was crazy. So I know that this man was meant for me. This procedure was meant for me, uh, the process. I couldn't play basketball in comfort anymore. Um, and after the procedure, I played pickup ball well past 45. Like I'm still in the gym killing boys at 45. I'm, happy, I'm feeling great. And I'm sharing this with anyone that mentions anything to do with uh, pain, um, bloating, all the symptoms that goes with having fibroids, any young lady that's sharing information, I'm sitting down having our conversations with young ladies about this. You've got to reach out to Dr. Litton. And here I have his number. It's not that hard. I'll make the call for you. I'm pleading with you uh, because it's amazing, like you said, how this process is life changing and it does not alter, it does not harm you. I was up in a week pack in my house, you know, to get to Minnesota at Tulsa, I can't even remember which team it was. I was packing my house to get there um, 10 days later. And I didn't believe him when he said that, but it was really true. Um, so, you know, here we go, Angela, here we go trying to not really convince people, but share a story that says, hey, you, you really don't have to live this way. And my life is totally fulfilled now. I, you know, there's nothing I can do. He, I walked out of his, oh, I, I kind of got pushed out by my sister, but out of his <laughs> office door, to the car home the same day and not believe in him, but Jesus, it, it's been a miracle in my life. So I have to share it. I share it with excitement. I share it with seriousness and any information I don't know, I lead them directly to his offices. Well, so much I want to impact about what you just said. Um, but I want to start with when Teresa says that she is going to get on the phone and, and, and call Dr. Lippman on your behalf, she is speaking the truth again. Um, one of the things that I have enjoyed about my uh, journey and being able to interact with some of the elite athletes around the world is how great people they are. 
And I think sometimes that is missed when we just see them on the screen and we see them at their best. Um, Teresa embodies that wholeheartedly. Uh, I actually, when I was getting ready to prepare for this episode, I went back through my emails just to kind of see what the journey was like. And the first email I had was an email where Teresa Edwards is introducing me to Dr. Lipman and saying, hey, Dr. Lipman, I'm checking in, good to see you, how are you doing? Hey, I have a friend and a colleague um, that is going through something similar to what I was going through. Um, and I would love for her to have the opportunity to see you if you have time, like you facilitated that conversation. You have a zillion things on your plate but you facilitated that conversation. And so the first thing, um, you know, as black women, right, we always prioritize everybody else, but what is it for you that is so important for you to show up for others? I, it's, I'm led by my spirit, number one. Um, it's such a natural thing. It seems to me the most human thing we can do if someone's in need, um, but I've been very fortunate to have some of the best sister friends around this world not just this country, meeting young ladies like you, even though you're younger than me, um, you're, you seem like you, you've always been a leader to me. You know, um, I've always looked up to you, your professionalism, your intelligence. Oh my God, you're a Stanford grad, come on, for God's sake. Um, <laughs> and all the Stanford friends I do have, I have to keep them very close to me. But I've, I've really been very fortunate to, to embrace and to have um, a circle of great sister friends and, and a lot of brothers too around the world. But at the same time, I'm a very, I'm pretty much an open book when you meet me. If I let you in, I'm, I'm totally comfortable with you. And even when I'm not, I, I enjoy speaking to strangers. And for me, the journey in life is, wouldn't be worth it if I didn't have that part of me. That was so natural. Um, I think one time you told me like, T, you're like a mystery. And really I'm not, I'm a deep thinker. Um, and I don't like wasting too much time on idle thoughts. And I, I'm, I'm easily bored when people are just having fun. Isn't that crazy? You're having fun, so you're good. I can move over here. Like, that's kind of my mentality sometimes that I'm glad you're having fun. I'm glad you're healthy. Um, if anything I can do to help the next person, that is just who I am. So to your, you know, to what you just said, to lend to what you just mentioned about how we take care of others before we take care of us, ourselves, I'm still that person. I'm having, I have to be pushed. T, go to the dentist. I just had a toothache. Go to the doctor. You got to take, you know, and, and I want to be healthy. But, you know, I think I just get it from my mother, natural state of personality, the type of person I am. And being in New York is not always a good thing, but I'm trying to hang on to myself. <laughs> yeah, the, the true essence of a point guard, right? Moving uh, the ball, setting people up for, for them to be successful. That's right. Um, is that's really right. Only take over when I have to. <laughs> only right. take over when I have to. That is true. Well, I'm interested in hearing, like, you know, we talked about how we have that common experience with the symptoms. Um, but it's, it sounds like it took you a while to get to the point where um, you actually went to seek treatment. What is that mentality? As athletes, right, you're, you're having, you know, ankles taped all the time and, and your physical ailments, like, right, you're having those taken care of. But I think sometimes as women, particularly around our reproductive systems uh, and our health, we don't necessarily prioritize that. What was your mentality and how has that shifted for you at all? You know, being an elite athlete is so different. My pain tolerance is very high, at least it was at that time. And a little cramp here or, or playing through that was nothing for me. And it's like, oh, it'll be over in a minute or fight through it. Um, any any trainer that you that I've ever had association with will tell you I really 
I stayed out of the training room as much as possible. If I'm in there, I'm really injured. But uh, I think that mentality to be an elite athlete, to fight through processes, to get to the end results of winning, um, that's just my, that became my nature. And for most athletes, um, that's hard to reckon with the fact that you're actually in pain, you're actually hurting, there is something going on with your body. Um, I really had to come to terms with that. As a young lady, I'm, you know, I'm still maturing, growing, my body is evolving and, and doing things I'm unfamiliar with. I don't claim to be a doctor, right? I go to the doctor so they can help me. So I had to sit down and go, listen to you, you're not 16, you're not even 25. You, you know, it's time to pay attention to your body and what's going on. And I couldn't control it. Normally it's three to five days. It was like you said, five to 10 days. Normally it's every 21 days and it was happening every week or every other week or something. I'm like, this, this is something that's not right here. You know, you were get yourself ready, go out the door. 10 minutes later, you're running right back in. You know, it's like, what is this? Traveling was a nightmare for me. Being on an airplane for more than two hours, scared to death. Things of that nature. You know, I just had to come to terms with life was changing. My body was changing. Pay attention to it. And at the same time, there's a lot of fear when the insurance is involved. That's a real fear. I was afraid to go to the doctors because I didn't have insurance in place. And I was very fortunate. Like, even in the process, I, I was um, hired to go. I went back to work in coaching. And I ended up not having to use every resource that he offered to me. But and but in the case that I had to take that first step without having insurance in place was very hard. So I understand what you're going through. I understand the mentality. I'm talking to a young lady here in New York who has insurance, but she can't get down to Atlanta and her insurance won't transfer there. Like um, and, and she's a distant relative of mine. My heart's just like really, I'm still trying to figure out how do we make this happen? Because she is in a point in her mind where she's like, well, I'll just do the best I can. I'll do whatever they can do for me here. No, don't settle. This is your body. It's, I mean, you got to feel great, Angela, because I feel great. Um, I've never had a single issue since I've left this office, you know, and I, I still don't know what he did. Just know about the band-aid and you're out of the office later that day and and, and he didn't cut and, and you know, I had a um I forget what the process the, the treatment that I you know, no it wasn't even treatment, but I, I'd been in surgery before him. And what happened was I was told that and it's really weird, it didn't connect. Um the doctor and my mother was talking to me and my speaking to me and my mother, she says you know, the, we left a few in there the size of a pea. That didn't really correlate with me that they were going to grow again. I didn't know. Like, we don't know these things. And they grew into a monster. And that's when I met Dr. Lipman, you know. And it, 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 what he did was this small. Amazing. I can't even tell he's there anymore. And I'm like, what did he do? And, of course, I'll leave that to Dr. Lipman to explain to everyone. But it, it's, it's, it's just amazing. It, I can't, you know, I'm... I don't even know how to express it at, at a certain point here because it's not something where you get an award from, but you do, you get your life awarded back to you, right? So it, my, my joy is the health of it, the, the mentality, your mental mindset is so big. Um, what you can give back to your world without thinking about it again. You can't, you can't put a price tag on that. No, that's true. I, I love how you said the award is that you get your life back. And that yeah. is really the case. Like it was isolating. Like I, like there were events that I said no to because I, I couldn't trust right that I'd be able to take care of myself. Um, mm -hmm. And I and I sense now that I look back on it, 
I probably was in a mini depression, like, right? Mm -hmm. Like the mm -hmm. fatigue, the anemia, like all of those different mm -hmm. things, um, the embarrassments uh, mm -hmm. and not really understanding what you could do. And I wish like if, if I had read that article at the outset, right? Like that, that, that four year period would have felt very different. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's why mm -hmm. these conversations are so incredibly important for us to, to continue having. Um, so we're going to actually bring in Dr. Lipman to Teresa's point um, to find out more about the myths, the, the conversations he has with his patients uh, and why you should consider all of your treatment options, um, but make sure that you do have access and awareness about all the options, not just those that it feels like are overprescribed, um, but those that actually may help you get your life back sooner um, and that aren't that invasive. So Teresa Edwards, thank you so much for your time. We're actually going to bring Teresa back here um, after our conversation with Dr. Lipman um, to have kind of more of a roundtable discussion about how our life has changed with the UFE procedure. You got it. All right. We'll be back shortly with Dr. Lipman. Welcome back to Unlocking the Club. I'm your host, Angela Taylor, and it is a pleasure to introduce you all to Dr. John Lipman, MD, the individual that Teresa and I were just talking about who has changed our lives um, with a very simple procedure, um, but a very powerful impact that has had on our journey. Uh, Dr. Lipman, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And it's so timely being Fibroid Awareness Month in July. Absolutely. So glad that you answered the call as you did um, several years ago um, to be on the show and have this important conversation. And as you just heard uh, in the conversation with Teresa, one of the things that has stood out to me, Dr. Lutman, um, about it's not just the procedure, but it's it's how you actually um, are interacting with patients. My experience at the Atlanta Fibroid Center um, was remarkable because I felt like a human. I didn't feel like a patient, if you will. Um, from the, the decor to the private room to actually having time with the doctor and having this conversation during the consultation. I think so often it feels like these days a consultation with a doctor lasts five minutes, right? And then maybe the, the nurse comes in or somebody else comes in uh, and then they set up another appointment. But I can, I've probably had about a 30, 45 minute conversation with you. Why is this a priority for you? Well, it's extremely important. I set out on my own uh, back in 2004, 2005. I just didn't like the way I was practicing medicine in a traditional hospital setting. Um, it's just not what I envisioned. I wanted to be able to spend as much time with the patients as they needed, whether it's 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour. We don't have any quote, time slots. I'm not under pressure to see 60 patients, you know, a day. I see far fewer patients. I take my time. We go into it, as you mentioned, in detail. And I wanted to practice the way I wanted to practice. And we started the Atlanta Fibroid Center. As you say, it's a standalone center. It is designed, we, we talked to many women particularly African-American women, because those are the women primarily we serve, how would you like to receive healthcare? And we had a lot of focus groups and women were obviously interested in quality, which we have, but the most important thing besides obvious quality was privacy. 
And so, as you mentioned, we have individual private rooms. A lot of outpatient centers have these corrals with little flimsy sheets, you know, draw sheets, they pull curtains, you know, that's not what we want. We have every patient has their own private room. We have one patient, one nurse. Um, sometimes nurses in the hospital setting might be looking after seven, eight patients or more. Every patient at the Atlanta Fiber Center has their own private nurse whose only responsibility is to care for them until they leave, which is the same day of the procedure. So the things you saw at the center were purposeful. We want people to have an experience like the Ritz-Carlton or the Four Seasons in healthcare. I've had numerous patients say, I can't believe everyone was so friendly and I, I, I had just this most amazing experience. I've never felt like that in a healthcare setting. It's purposeful and it's what drives us every day. And that positivity that radiates throughout our practice is infectious and the patients pick up on it um, and it just kind of begets upon itself. And it's, it's very rewarding to me. I, I feel very fortunate to be able to work in a setting like that, that I have control over. And uh, it's, it's truly paradise. Uh, I, I must say I'm very blessed and appreciative that I can practice medicine like I want to practice because many of my colleagues are experiencing physician burnout and retiring early. And I love coming to work every single day. And that's just not a cliche. It's true. I really appreciate you sharing that because if you look at the data now, um, particularly as a result of COVID, right, the physician burnout is at an all-time high. Moral injury, right, um, is, is is something that we're not talking enough about. Um, but but I also am appreciative of the intentionality that you had in designing the center. Um, it did give me back my dignity. And I think for the other women that you were serving, um, giving their dignity back. I come from a long line of Black women in my family who talk often about um, having white coat syndrome. My mom would always say, like, right, she always got anxiety on her way to the doctor's office. Um, and my experience was different because of your intentionality, and I appreciate that uh, as well. And, and, and what, actually, Dr. Lipman, for you to bring a little bit of context to what uterine fibroid are, and, and you heard Teresa and I talk about our journey, um, but what is it that our listeners should understand and know? Well, they should understand that fibroids are extremely common in women, particularly women of color. 80% of African-American women, adult women, have these benign tumors. So fibroids are extremely common, particularly in African-American women. They're benign, they're not cancerous, but as you heard in the earlier discussions, that you had with Teresa, they can cause absolute miserable symptoms. It's the number one reason why women have heavy periods. They cause pain, they cause urinary frequency, painful intercourse, sciatica, as you mentioned, a whole host of symptoms and misery. And everything that a woman does revolves, as you mentioned in your journey, everything revolved around your menstrual. You had to forego you know, things in your life. You may not be able to work certain days of the month. You may not be able to vacation, have relations. You had to know where every bathroom was. Patients will carry bags of extra clothing. They're wearing all sorts of heavy gear. Um, and the amount of blood loss that they're losing every month, they can't possibly replace. And so they become increasingly tired and fatigued. And it is truly miserable. And it's completely unnecessary. There are over 1 million women in the country right now that are the silent sufferers. They don't want 
surgery, and I don't blame them because most of the women that have suffered with fibroids get told they need a hysterectomy, particularly if they're done having their children. They don't want it. Um, in fact, there was a recent study by the Mayo Clinic that showed that women waited on average three and a half years to be treated, and a quarter of them waited over five years. And this treatment is unnecessary because UFE can be done in these patients and they can get their life back immediately and not get this, you know, you've suffered four years unnecessarily and kind of lost four years of your life. We can address this thing right now with these patients and give them their life back. It's transformational and they don't have to suffer in silence. And, you know, we re that's one of the main issues is this delay in treatment because women aren't told by their gynecologist about UFE. They don't do it. They're not trained in it. And so they conveniently don't mention it in a lot of cases. And women don't want surgery, and I don't blame them for that either. I wouldn't want hysterectomy. Yeah, you know, so much resonated with me is what you were just sharing is, it, and it strikes me that if men were to have to go through some of the things that women go through with their bodies, how things would change, how the narrative would change and how things would be prioritized because it is debilitating and there are these myths. And the hysterectomy, I was reading some data when I was looking at my options back in the day, and I don't know if it's the same, Dr. Lippman, um, if the numbers are the same, but I think that hysterectomies were the second or third most frequently um, frequent surgeries for patients in the United States. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. The hysterectomy is the second most common surgery done in the United States, which is very surprising because half the population, men, don't have a uterus, yet it's the second most common surgery that we do. And the most common reason is not cancer, because if you have uterine cancer, that would be appropriate. But by far, the most common reason why we do hysterectomy in this country is for these benign tumors. Um, so why are we essentially amputating black women for benign disease? And these are young women. The average age of hysterectomy is less than 40. And I spoke to university and I met three women after my talk who came up to me in tears because they were less than 30 and already had a hysterectomy. Um, and hysterectomy changes women significantly for the, for the negative. It, there are a lot of negative baggage issues that come with hysterectomy. Not only were these women not allowed to have children ever again, but they have a lot of other issues, psychological issues, losing your, your womb, your essence, sexual dysfunction, a lot of sexual um, loss of libido, loss of orgasm, urinary leaking after hysterectomy. If you go to the adult diaper section, what you should see is a picture of one of my parents who were in their 90s. You won't see that. What you'll see is an attractive 35 to 40-year-old African-American woman on the package. Um, why? Because that's the target. Um, and that's, we got to stop this. We got to stop doing hysterectomies for benign disease. And, you know, it's one of these things that kind of comes with a delay in treatment. You talked about the heaviness of the flow and so forth. Some women just feel like I've been doing the heavy flow for so long. That's normal for me, or that's normal for my family. I asked my mom, she was a heavy bleeder. I'm a heavy bleeder. No. That's not normal. I know you've been doing it a long time. I'll show you what's normal after a UFE, but that's a problem in delay of treatment. There is the mentality of, you talked about just keeping it moving. I wrote a blog piece on my website. Doc, I just got to keep it moving. 
Um, women in the workplace, they, they didn't have the time to be off eight weeks after a hysterectomy, so they couldn't afford the time off. Maybe they couldn't afford it you know, to, to be off from work. Um, they were just kind of pushing it through. They also felt an obligation, not only to, because they might be the only woman in the workplace that may be working with men who don't understand about women's periods and having to find the bathroom and being off you know, from work. They may not understand those issues. They might be the only woman of color. And so they were not only thinking about themselves, but they were thinking about the next hire. If I let down, if I let the other women down, or if I let other women of color down, the next hire is not going to be someone that looks like me. I mean, incredible, um, you know, mental fortitude. And, um, you know, they also don't want surgery. And that was other, that was when they looked at the study, the vast majority of women didn't want hysterectomy. They didn't want surgery. And they weren't told about this non-surgical option, UFE. So they're, it's multifactorial. It's even you know, that we have a history in this country, particularly I've practiced in Atlanta, as you mentioned, in the South, you know, the Mississippi appendectomies, the Fannie Lou Hamers, these unnecessary surgeries performed on black women. There is a mistrust. Obviously, we've got to address that issue, a mistrust of doctors. You mentioned the white coat hypertension. It's because we do have this kind of ugly history with hysterectomy in this country, particularly the South. And I feel for that. Imagine a white physician talking to an audience of several hundred black women about the Tuskegee experiment. You know, so I, I have a, an appreciation and I it, it understand our history and, and understand the apprehension that an African-American woman might have in my care. But, you know, we try to do everything possible to try to, you know, put patients at ease and, and reassure them that, I'm going to tell you all your options and you're going to decide. I appreciate so much about what you just unpacked and unlocked about right the system that we're navigating um, as women and in particular as, as Black women and the psyche, the mindset that we have because we have that history um, that wasn't so long ago uh, and that impacts decisions that we certainly make and access that we have to um, resources such as yourself. Um, it struck me as you were talking about the hysterectomies and that is the second um, most frequently uh, frequent surgery in the United States. Can we unlock, like, why is that? Like, it feels like it's not, um, certainly not from a, a health or reproductive care perspective. It feels like there's some capitalism uh, that is influencing some of those medical procedure decisions. Yes, I mean, there's certainly, you know, medicine has been, you know, made into a business. Um, a lot of pressures um, and have kind of made medicine a business. And so, yes, I'm sure they're, you know, the gynecologist is facing economic pressures, you know, um, to perform these procedures. There's a certain, you've got to keep your skills up. Um, some of the newer ways to do hysterectomy, laparoscopic and robotic, require a certain minimum number of procedures to be done. And the hospital buys this expensive equipment and puts pressure on doctors to keep their numbers up. The hospital wants to make money. There's pressure. So there's economic pressure. Certainly, you'd, you'd like to hope that there, that wouldn't be a factor, but it, it is. You know, that, that's, that's part of it. It's hard to change doctors' patterns. Uh, certainly, 
The drug manufacturers know that. They get a doctor to prescribe a certain medication, and it's hard to get them to change it. Um, we've been doing hysterectomies for fibroids for a long time, and there's a long history of doing hysterectomy. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to change people's patterns, but all the gynecologists now know about it, about UFE. We've been doing UFE in this country for the past 25 years, so it's well-proven, safe, and effective. It, it has the highest level of medical evidence for safety, for efficacy. So it works. There's no question about it. And all the doctors throughout the country, gynecologists included, know about it. So they can't say, well, we never heard about it or we don't know about it. I mean, they need to know about it. They do. Um, they can refer to interventional radiologists. Um, you know, there's some economic pressure from referring to somebody else because then you lose that hysterectomy. Sometimes the gynecologist might seem that it's plus one for me and minus one for them, but it's not. Um, as you mentioned, there are a lot of patients, the silent sufferers, they don't want hysterectomy and they're suffering with this. And you can mention UFE um, and they can get their life back. And you know this procedure is incredible. It's a 30 to 40 minute procedure. They go home the same day with a Band-Aid, as you mentioned, the recovery is about five days at home. So it's safer, it's less invasive. It treats all the fibroids, no matter how big or how many. It's, it's truly one of the biggest medical breakthroughs for women, particularly women of color. But the biggest issue is nobody, relatively speaking, knows about it despite a 25-year history of, of safety and efficacy. So if, if one of our listeners is experiencing some of the symptoms that you've talked about and that Teresa and I have shared, what should they do? So what is the process when they go to their doctor and they have this discussion and they discover that they do have fibroids, what should the process look like from start to finish? Well, if they have, if they have fibroids, if their symptoms, whether it's heavy bleeding, pelvic pain, urinary frequency, whatever it is symptom wise, and if it's, real, if it's due to fibroids, then they have to know about UFE. That, that's a, and if they're not hearing it from their doctor, they've got to, you know, get a second opinion from an interventional radiologist like myself who can then go over the symptoms with even better imaging than the gynecologist uses. The gynecologist will use pelvic ultrasound, and that's an okay, it's kind of a low-resolution imaging tool of the pelvis. They have them in their office, so it's very easy to perform, and they can get it right there. Um, so it's easy and convenient, but it's really low resolution. It doesn't give you the detail that you really get with an MRI of the pelvis, which we get in our patients and show the patients exactly how many, how many fibroids they have, how big, where they're located, and how, depending on their location, will determine their symptoms. The fibroids that are located along the lining in the central part of the uterus cause the heavy bleeding. The ones in the front of the uterus will press on the bladder, which sits right in front of the uterus. Ones in back can press on pelvic nerves to cause pain or constipation because the colon is right behind the uterus. So depending on where the fibroids are, you can see the patient's symptoms and see if it fits with the imaging. And if so, if, if their symptoms are truly due to the fibroids, UFE is tremendous. Um, it's also helpful because you know, a lot of times patients will say, well, I know I have two fibroids or three fibroids. We've been following following them with pelvic ultrasound with my gynecologist. 
and we get the MRI and there's 15, 20, 30 or more. The ultrasound underestimates the number. And that's important when you have issues where you want to maintain fertility because the surgical option is no longer hysterectomy. It's myomectomy. And surgically, if you have 30, 40, or 50 fibroids like a lot of my patients do, you can't remove them all. Um, and so what happens with commonly with myomectomy is they remove what they can, usually the bigger ones, and then within two, three, or four years, all the symptoms are back because the ones they left behind start growing, and the small ones over several years become big ones. And so they go, oh, those darn fibroids, they're back. Well, that's kind of a white lie. They're not back. It's the ones you, the surgeon, didn't take out the first time. So there is an 11% per year rate of recurrence with myomectomy. So I commonly see patients in my practice that have had two or three myomectomies, as many as five, and they're coming to me for the next treatment. Now, the UFE knocks out all the fibroids. So typically, it's a one and done, which is great because um, you don't need to keep doing these repetitive myomectomies. You can do one, but in my opinion, after the first myomectomy, every patient after that should get UFE. That's great. So what should we consider from a preventative standpoint? Are there things that you can do to, to minimize or reduce the likelihood that you do get fibroids? There are some strategies you can do if your symptoms are mild particularly, um, or you don't have fibroids that you're aware of at all, you can start on the journey. If you're an African-American adult woman, you can do some of these strategies before you even know that you have fibroids because you know, likely at some point in your life, you're gonna have them. Hopefully they won't cause significant symptoms. We call those fibroids passenger fibroids because they just ride along in the uterus and if they don't cause symptoms and they don't bother you, you don't have to bother them. You know, unfortunately there's a lot of women that have fibroids that are not symptoms like you had and like Teresa had. Um, and so then something needs to be done about it. But some of the preventative kind of strategies, um, nobody knows where fibroids come from. And that's another issue. We need more research into fibroids. And there is pending legislation in both the House and the Senate um, on the, you know, the Stephanie Tubbs-Jones Fibroid Research and Education Act, which is really important. Hopefully, we can get that legislation passed. It provides much needed research to the NIH, as well as um, important funding to the CDC to help get the word out about UFE and some of these other non-surgical approaches to doctors and the lay community. But um, so nobody knows where fibroids come from, but once they arrive, they grow with estrogen. So we try an anti-estrogenic approach, if you will, which includes a number of things. One is there are some estrogen hormone-rich foods, if you will, um, red meat, non-organic chicken, and dairy are the big offenders. So if you can try to work around those, that's going to be helpful. Um, estrogen is stored and produced in body fat. One of the reasons African-American women disproportionately suffer with fibroids is, in general, they have more body fat than other, other racial groups. Asian women have the lowest body fat and the lowest incidence of fibroids. Now, that's not the only issue. It certainly contributes, but because I see a lot of very fit, low body fat African-American women in my practice that have very big fibroids. There's also genetic components that you can't do anything about, kind of runs in families. But um, if you can kind of block estrogen through um, eating more colored fruits and vegetables, which have 
uh, flavonoids in them, which block an enzyme that's important in estrogen production, exercise, lose that excess body fat, try to avoid those uh, hormone-rich foods. And then lastly, vitamin D. Vitamin D is really important. It's, it's technically not a vitamin, it's a hormone, but it's the most powerful anti-fibroid growth hormone that we have. And so um, only 10% of African-American men or women have adequate vitamin D has to do with the pigmentation of the skin. The darker the pigmentation, the harder it is to get vitamin D. I also have low vitamin D. I, I guess I spend too much time in the office. I don't get enough sunlight, um, but it's really important. It's also good against COVID. I mean, as far as boosting immunity, helping to, to ward that off. So it's important to get your vitamin D level checked because that's easy to supplement and get you to the appropriate level. And um, women with normal vitamin D levels have a much lower incidence of fibroids. And so if you can do kind of the exercise dietary things, it's good for fibroid prevention. It's also good for cardiovascular health. Vitamin D, to say it's really important. So there are some things you can do to help mitigate the symptoms and try to prevent you from suffering with fibroids. I definitely remember you mentioning vitamin D um, uh, as being something that to consider and that I started actually supplementing moving forward. Um, thank you for that insight and perspective about things that we can do just to, to, to make sure that we are managing our health. Is there any other advice, Dr. Lippman, um, that you would have for, for women um, that are experiencing something like this? Well, if you're suffering with fibroids, no matter what your gynecologist tells you, you don't have to have a hysterectomy. That is so important. Get a second opinion you know, from an interventional radiologist, as I mentioned, like myself, that sees a lot of fibroid patients. So you don't have to have surgery. It's an option, but in my opinion, it should be option of last resort. Also, when you go to your doctor to talk about your fibroids, bring somebody with you. Um, that can be a, a person, that can, a friend, any other person, because sometimes when patients go to the doctor and they hear, well, you need hysterectomy, all of a sudden it's like hearing the word cancer. It's like, oh my gosh, that is, that's so invasive. It's, and you almost don't hear anything else. And then they don't remember any of the other things of the conversation. So um, bring questions, you know, bring, you know, this is a, a two-way street. It's not doctor telling patient anymore. It's not this paternalistic thing. We want a two-way conversation. Um, and so arm yourself with questions about fibroids and about what's going on with your symptoms. Too many times women think their periods are normal because they've done it for so long. And so we, can, we talk a lot about a woman's periods in, in our consultation. If you go to the doctor and you feel like you're not being listened to or you're being dismissed. There are plenty of other doctors. Don't settle for that. Nobody knows your body better than you. Um, and so if something is not right, it's probably not right. And you need to get that looked into. Uh, we'll see a lot of patients say, well, you know, I went to my gynecologist and I wasn't, uh, he drew my blood and my hemoglobin level wasn't that low. And so we're just not going to do anything about my periods right now. We're, calling, we're doing this watchful waiting. And so they go from this watchful waiting where they just do nothing to all of a sudden hysterectomy the next time, next year. It's like, wow, it's like from zero to 60. Like, 
that there's nothing else. And most women won't hear about UFE. And that's a real shame. I mean, everyone is entitled to know all their options, not just the surgical ones that the gynecologist does. You need to know about all your options so you can make the best informed decision for you and your body. Well, just listening to you and in this conversation um, with Teresa, it's, it's bringing me back to that time and uh, is underscoring why this conversation is so important for us to have. Like we need to make sure that young women, right before they get to the point where they may start to have um, fibroids, that they understand what their options are and they can ask those questions and they can be their own best advocate in their um, medical process and journey. And so Dr. Lipman, thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you for the passion with which you are doing this work. I can, I can feel it in our conversation of why this is so important to you. And, and I'm grateful that you're committed to, again, changing the trajectory for, for women that are suffering from uterine fibroids. Well, I appreciate the opportunity very much. And to say that the conversation sometimes can be difficult. There's a lot of taboos about talking about periods, um, whether it's amongst family members or, um, you know, girlfriends. But the conversation is so important. It, it, we've got to stop, start the conversations and break this taboo about, you know, talking about periods. And, and men need to know about it. We love when men come out to our seminars that we do uh, about fibroids because, a lot of times men just don't understand. And um, you know, the perfect example was when we treated Cynthia Bailey from Real Housewives. She was married at the time to Peter, who didn't understand. All he thought was, well, I'm not, ha I'm not getting relations anymore. She must not love me. Couldn't be farther from the truth. The problem was she was bleeding so heavily and anemic and wearing adult diapers for this heavy flow that she would get. She didn't feel sexual. She was tired and weak from the anemia. That was the problem, not that she didn't love Peter. And once we did the UFE, she got her life back, her anemia resolved, she got the energy, she wasn't wearing any diapers anymore. And she, as she told me, she, you, get, you gave me my sexy back, you know, and then their relations <laughs> resumed. And so it's important for men to understand this as well. The conversations have to happen throughout, you know, men and women, women amongst themselves, families, you know, it runs in families. So, Talk to your daughters and uh, just everyone should should know about this. So being more informed and not afraid to talk about such subjects. That is such an important point. This is not just something that women should have to, to confront and face. Like the men in our lives should also be aware of that. Um, or anybody, like, right, understand what we're going through. So it demystifies so many of these things that, that we're sensing. And uh, to Cynthia's point, right, we can get our sexy back. Uh, to Teresa and my point, we can get our lives back. So Dr. Lipman, thank you for that. We're actually gonna be back here in a minute um, and, and have a, a discussion on the back nine with both Dr. Lipman and with Teresa Edwards. Stay tuned for more of this conversation. Do you want to stop feeling like you have little to no control over your life's journey and instead amplify your life's purpose? You all know me as Angela Taylor, host of the Unlocking the Club podcast, but I am also a business, career, life, and leadership coach helping my clients to live their best life. Every day, I help my clients discover what they truly want in life and then unlock the club on how they can live their best life. If you're like many of my clients, you have found yourself over the years prioritizing everyone else, 
and everything else. Your job, your significant other, your family, your friends, your community, the list goes on and on. Well, I'm here to tell you the best thing you can do for others is to invest in yourself. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't need to succumb to the fear of failure. You don't have to be perfect. You don't need to feel like you're being selfish. You simply need to prioritize you. You may be thinking that coaching is for other people, but trust me when I say that we all could benefit from a good coaching relationship. Together, we'll build a plan to help you amplify your gifts, clarify your goals, and accelerate your journey toward the life you desire, which may be finding financial wealth, spiritual health, relationship success, and or freedom and flexibility. You no longer have to feel like you aren't welcome into someone else's club. Let me empower you to leverage all of your extraordinary gifts and create your own club. Head on over to unlockingtheclub.com to book a free 20-minute introductory call to learn more about our Unlocking Your Journey coaching packages or use code UNLOCK to get a 15% discount on the six-month coaching package. Today is the day to invest in yourself. Let's unlock your journey. Taylor, welcome to the Back Nine. I'm here with Dr. John Lipman, MD, and Teresa Edwards, and we've just had a really important conversation about the experience that we have as Black women with fibroids uh, and the work that Dr. Lipman is doing at the Atlanta Fibroid Center um, to help change the trajectory of our lives so that we can get our sexy back, so we can get our lives back um, through this process and this journey. You know, one thing that um, showed up in our conversations with both of you was that you both are extremely passionate about this conversation. Right? It'd be easy just to, to move forward, to, to do your work, Dr. Lippman, uh, Teresa, just to, to move forward with your life. Why is it important um, for us to have this conversation, particularly um, during Fibroid Awareness Month? Uh, Teresa, I'll start with you. For me, it's important because we all, we're gonna meet people and we're in, I know people. I know, uh, even my nieces today, I'm having conversations with them. I'm trying to get them to and introduce them to Dr. Lipman. He's so empowering. You know, just listening to you, both of you have your conversation. Um, we're really, really lucky, blessed um, that he's passionate about what he does, how he does it. I don't really think you understand the impact you have on the lives that you're changing. And I'm, I'm just really, really, I know we're fortunate to have you and have you do what you do at the level in which you do it. Um, and, and as Angela said, you're so passionate about it. You're very articulate about it. You're very common. You have a very common presence about you that allows us to have these conversations. Now, listen, you got two black women here and you're a white man. Listen, that speaks volume. I appreciate you standing for us. Um, and I don't mean to take this down this road, but I just can't help but share that with you while I'm in this moment with you, Dr. Lippman, because um, I'm going to keep passing it on. And I know you work so hard to get in touch with me sometimes. And, and as Angela mentioned, we have such busy lives, but I'm always available to try to have a conversation. To, and I think I owe it to the next woman to go through, get through what we've gotten, gone through to arrive where I am today in this freedom that I live in because of what you, you know, that procedure uh, has done for my life. So Angela, I owe it to the next one and, and any others. I appreciate you, Teresa, so much because, you know, you have brought attention to this really important matter. And, 
you know, we still don't do very many UFEs. We could be doing way more. And if it wasn't for, you know, your bravery and coming out with your story, I mean, it's not easy to talk about. You're in the limelight. You're an, an Olympic star. And, you know, you could easily just keep that to yourself. And, you know, bringing the attention to this very important story, I, I am very appreciative of what you've done and what, you know, Cynthia did and some other celebrities using the platform they have a voice that so many people look up to you and follow you and um we don't do enough ufes as it is we probably so few women would probably get ufe if it wasn't for your bravery and and so we're hoping to amplify that message and so that every woman just knows this option i mean it's just it's simple they should they should know about this and yet despite doing this for 25 years, still, relatively speaking, nobody knows about it. And, you know, it's not about being the titles either. It's not about being an Olympian or who I am, as Teresa said, which what it is, is like, I'm woman, I'm human, and this every there's many women like me out there. But I, I want to echo what uh, Dr. Lipman said, um, T, because you could, you have so many things on your plate, so many people coming to you, um, at, making requests. I, I'm one of those people, right? Reaching out to you saying, T, can you get on uh, Unlocking the Club? Um, so the choice to uh, share your private life um, is a really important one. And, and Dr. Lipman, as you were um, answering a question earlier in the show, um, it had me thinking back to the day. I remember when I was in high school and actually when I went on to college, I didn't like to go to the store to purchase tampons. Like, right, I didn't want to be seen putting it on the conveyor belt, right? So my mom would literally send me care packages uh, with, with tampons because she knew I didn't want to see them, like, right? Mm -hmm. Or when we get them in the house when I was growing up, right? She would sneak them into my room or to my bathroom so my brothers and my dad didn't have to see. Like, this is what was going through my mind. It was such a private thing and as a woman, I didn't want to reveal that to others. So, T, the what you did to share your story um, really is going to have an impact, and that's why this this is important. That's why I'm coming out of my comfort zone and having this conversation as well. So grateful to you and Dr. Lipman. Um, T was right. Like it's it's ironic as I was getting ready for this episode. Uh, you were the first white man on unlocking the club. So welcome. You get that honor. I don't know how much of an honor it is. Um, but for a specific reason, because of the impact that you had on my life um, and the impact that you had on Teresa's life uh, and your passion for this work. And I am curious, why is this important to you? Well, I mean, as I say, um, I, I, I was doing embolization of tumors, mostly cancerous tumors, before UFE was discovered. So I was helping patients who were suffering with a particular cancers that were involving the liver and trying to give them a better quality of life. Um, it wasn't curative in many of the cases. It was palliation in a lot of it. Um, but we were giving them a better quality of life. And I was invited to speak at a national radiology meeting, which the meeting I never, I, I never go to because they're um, interventional radiology is just a very small subset of the bigger radiology house, and that meeting really didn't wasn't applicable to me. But I was invited to share my data on this embolization, and I went to the meeting, um, and I gave my 10, 15 minute talk on what I was doing, and this the, the place where we were speaking at was like could fit a, like a thousand people because it's a big meeting. It's the biggest radiology meeting of the year. There's probably 
tens of thousands of radiologists there and this big auditorium, but there were only maybe 10 or 15 people listening to my talk, you know, and, and others. And so I, after I gave my talk, instead of just leaving, I sat in the audience because I felt bad. There was nobody there at this huge auditorium. No one was there to listen. And a couple speakers after me was the uh, Scott Goodwin, who did the first 11 patients, uh, UFE patients in the country. UFE was discovered completely by accident. You know, we've been doing it for cancerous tumors, but the, there was an investigator in France that decided to do this before hysterectomy to make it an easier surgery. Well, in France, you've got to wait six, seven, or eight weeks for your elective surgery. So they get embolized with a UFE, and then they were discharged, and they would wait six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks. Well, what happened? Their symptoms started going away. So these women in France called their gynecologist and said, I feel great. Do I still need to have my hysterectomy because all my symptoms are gone? So the answer was, no, you didn't need to have that second part. You could just have UFE. And so that gynecologist called his friend at UCLA and said, you better look at this. This is an amazing thing. And so Scott was presenting the first 11 patients in the United States. And I'm like, wow, this is incredible. I'm in Atlanta. I could really be helpful to a lot of people if I started doing this. And we did the, did the first one here in Georgia uh, back in 1996 or seven, uh, and have been doing them ever since and uh, have the largest experience now worldwide. Um, it's just a tremendous procedure. And God put me there because I never go to that meeting. Um, as I say, normally I would just walk off the stage, but I sat and I, I heard Scott speak. So, you know, I, I know I was placed there on purpose. So I'm grateful that there was only a handful of people that were in attendance at your speech and that you stayed to listen to Scott's speech. That has changed <laughs> right, many lives as a result of it. I want to pivot a little bit um, uh, from this conversation about uterine fibroids to a conversation about both of you. Uh, and uh, Teresa, I'll start with you. Um, as we're talking about women and women's health, I think it's really important for us to understand um, how we can be in wellness. So I'm wondering for you on your journey, um, like how do you find the space and the time to be in wellness? I've embraced eating much better. Um, as an athlete, I felt like in my younger years, I could eat whatever I want to eat and I could still go out on the court and play all day and, and never impacted my body, my, my fat, I didn't feel fat. I was a very skinny kid early on. And then as I, you know, retired from the game, everything changed. And I'm like, I'm truly learning um, the value of, of nutrition. Um, I'm learning the value of rest. I'm learning the value of just self-help, self-care and taking it on. I really don't work out and people still think I can play the game. So I think I'm doing something correct, but um, I, and, and then I found myself embracing like walking more or, you know, taking steps instead of elevators in, in my old days. So I'm, 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 I'm pivoting again, but I value uh, my body because, um, as Dr. Littman mentioned earlier, the, the financial part associated with, in the medical fields kind of scares me. Um, my mistrust in things scares me. So I want to do everything I can. I want my medical treatment to be my nutrition mm, now. So important. So That's important. Part. Thanks, Dee. Dr. Lipman, how about you? How do you center yourself for being wellness? Well, as 
Parisa said, I mean, you only have one body um, and you've got to take care of it. Um, try to do the things, you know, that I can do. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a food and wine guy, so I've got to kind of, <laughs> kind of moderate that, everything in moderation. Um, and so, uh, you know, I exercise when I can. I love sports. I love playing sports. Um, try to keep doing it. You know, I'm getting up there in age and uh, just try to do the things you can do and, and realize the limits of your age and your body and uh, um, just enjoy. I mean, it's say we're not here very long and we only have one body. We try to do the best we can while we're here. Yeah, so true. I think that over the last two years, that has really run true for me is how important just being in the moment right? And making the most of, of your life and, the, and the, the opportunities that you have is. Um, with that in consideration, Dr. Lipman, what's what's on your bucket list? What's one thing on your bucket list um, that, uh, that you want to do? And Teresa, I'll follow up with the same question for you. Well, we, we want to continue to try to expand the message. Uh, we're, you know, we're, we're releasing a documentary, uh, hopefully uh, before the end of the month, uh, uh, we've been working with a group that did um, won awards for their documentary work uh, called on period poverty. Um, we recognize that and have helped in donating to causes uh, a number of women in third world countries, particularly Africa, yeah. uh, don't have the sanitary products. I mean, some of the conditions are just ridiculous for young women to not to have any sanitary products or, you know, using shirts or towels or, I mean, just, just awful um, and trying to provide them. Um, and so the, we saw their work and uh, they're now going to do a documentary on exactly the issues we talked about today, uh, an awareness about UFE and how tremendous this procedure is and, um, you know, that you don't have to have surgery for fibroids and, um, we're excited about the documentary. They're they're incredible crew to work with, and uh, we're really hopeful that someone will look at this and really try to, whether it's a Netflix or an HBO, somebody hopefully will pick this up and and really broadcast the message. We have such an important message, and that's what we want to get out there. And hopefully, um, after all these years, maybe we'll be successful. But that's been my mission from day one, and. Here, 25 years later, it's still my mission one. Well, thank you for prioritizing this. And I can't wait for the documentary uh, to be widely available to, to view. T, how about you? What's what's on your bucket list? So let me make it a little fun. Doc, Dr. Lippman is saving the world. I'm trying to save me. <laughs> uh, I think one thing on my bucket list is to travel this country in a car and just kind of see all the things I didn't get to see. Playing basketball, I was able to travel the world. But what people don't understand is we're often from a bus to a hotel, from the hotel back to a bus to a gymnasium or an arena and performing and going right back to bed, you know. So I, I my bucket list is to travel from east to west to see everything in between. And that's just one thing. Um, that I'm counting on. So, Dr. Lippman, I'm planning on having a little more fun. I'm here maybe, for you. Maybe you can drive to to Colorado um, and through the the Pacific Northwest to see the the documentary at Sundance or one of those film festivals. That could be 
like the theme of your trip. But I love that. And 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 Teresa, I just watched um, Dream On, uh, the fantastic documentary uh -huh. on ESPN about the 95 national team, 96 Olympic team that brought home gold in in Atlanta. And I get like, right, you guys are in Siberia, on the bus, hotel, in the gyms. And so I love that you want to travel the country um, via car. Make sure you come to Idaho. Um, you, you know somebody here. Uh, awesome. Yes, exactly. awesome. Well, I could be in conversation with you both all day, but I know you have more important things to do. Would love to give you a chance, um, starting with you, Dr. Lippman. What do you have going on? Where can our listeners find you? Uh, well, it's pretty easy to find me, um, particularly with the internet these days. We have a website, uh, atlii.com, atlii.com. We have a YouTube channel with over 150 videos on fibroids and on the UFE procedure. That's Atlanta Fibroid Center. And then we, uh, we have uh, an Instagram page. People like Instagram is very visual. Um, that's dr underscore my last name. So it's dr underscore L-I-P-M-A-N. Fantastic. All right. We will definitely check out. Um, that's a lot of resources on YouTube specifically. Uh, and if you do, if you are experiencing any of the symptoms that Teresa and I shared, please reach out to the Atlanta Fibroid Center or um, your, your doctors and, and they will recommend somebody that you can go to as well. Um, Teresa, how about you? I know you have a lot going on. You have a book, Black Gold, uh, that uh, you release and is available on Audible. Where else can people find you and what do you have going on? Um, easy to find. The only thing that makes it hard is I only, you know, dive into my social media when I'm actually doing things. So I'm sorry, I'm old school with that. <laughs> so, but at the same time, I'm literally official TeresaEdwards.com website. I'm rebuilding that, hoping to launch a new website next month where we can unpack and unload the books as well as, um, a little apparel line. I'm wearing, you know, this, this first time, five time mm -hmm thing that uh, logo that I created for myself being the first five-time Olympian now that Diana and Sue Bird has caught me I gotta still distinguish myself um but having fun with that and just doing me I love writing Angela I'm gonna continue to write I want to tell women's um sports stories that haven't been told I think that's the only stories that really haven't been told these days so I embrace those stories about you know the newcomers the old ladies that I ran up and down the court with all the great legends out there. I want to help them tell their stories or just watch them tell their stories. So I'm going to keep writing. I'm going to keep working with the kids. Um, I love the summers because I get that freedom. And, you know, when the fall rolls back around spring, I'm going to be back in school and doing my thing there. So I'm just here. So look out for me with official TeresaEdwards.com, my IG and all that stuff. You'll see me periodically. <laughs> awesome. We will have that information in our show notes. Make sure that you, you check out um, both websites and that T, that first five-time Olympian. Yes. Definitely going to try to, to, to rock that. So we'll be looking for, for that. Uh, I have to leave with one story uh, just to share. And, and uh, Dr. Lippman, humor me a little bit. But the first time that I had a chance to meet the legendary Teresa Edwards. So if you're a women's basketball player, like, right, you, you certainly had followed Teresa's career. Um, and as Teresa came out to Stanford uh, one spring um, as she was getting ready to train for national team and would play pickup with us. 
And I wasn't very good. This was after my freshman year. I was a walk-on to the women's basketball team at Stanford. Um, so I was just happy to be on the team, frankly, right, uh, and to be able to, to compete at practice. But there was one particular moment. I was on the, the opposite team of Teresa's. I'm handling the ball. And so as Teresa is, like, defending me, she's telling me what I should be doing and the reason why I should be doing that, and that was because she was going to steal the ball from me. Uh, and as she, I'm processing the advice she was giving me, she stole the ball and went in the other direction, right? Like that's greatness right there, but uh, certainly loved uh, and appreciated um, the competitive nature with which Teresa played, but also giving back. And in that moment, like she's trying to get better, also making sure that others are getting better as well. So I always, that is etched in my memory, as well as many other plays that we still talk about to these days, Teresa, about you passing behind the back, you know, half court passes behind the back and some of the remarkable things that you were able to do and appreciate all you have meant to women's basketball and women's sports as well. Very Jordan-esque. Very Jordan. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this has been uh, Unlocking the Club. I really appreciate our special guest, Teresa Edwards and Dr. John Lipman for joining us here in Fibroid Awareness Month to talk about a really important topic. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I hope you got a tidbit of information that may help you, your sister, your aunt, your cousin, your friend, or anybody. Please share this information with the women in your life. This can change their life for sure. Uh, again, thanks for joining us for Unlocking the Club. You can find out where to follow us in the show notes. Make sure that you listen, subscribe, and review our podcast. And until next time, take care. Thanks for listening to Unlocking the Club. If this conversation resonated with you, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or your favorite streaming platform so that you can experience every episode. And follow us on social media where you'll hear about future guests, access special features, and connect with this amazing community. Head on over there and let us know how you are unlocking the club. Until next time, peace.